When it comes to starting and running a business, there's a lot of challenges, and a lot of those challenges may seem insurmountable, but if you attack them in little bite-sized chunks, you can't overcome them. Our guest today talks about how to do that using processes, workflows, systems, how to uh, overcome the feast or famine problems that a lot of us small businesses have. It's really good content. I hope you'll stick through all the way to the end because there's nuggets from the beginning to the end. You don't want to miss any of them. Welcome to another episode. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan, and in every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock, in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AMPM Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Jordan, and today we have guest, how do you even pronounce your name? It's Gilkey? Gilkey, yeah, Joey Gilkey. All right, Joey Gilkey. I was looking at that, and usually I ask off camera, how do you pronounce this so we don't get it wrong, and I realized I screwed up and forgot that today. So Gilkey, um, I guess that's a little more intuitive than it could have been. So Mr. Gilkey here, our guest today, how you doing? Good, brother. Thank you for having me on. So my understanding is that you are a professional sales guy, right? And when we say that, we're not just talking about, you know, selling stuff door to door. We're talking about building sales systems. We're talking about building businesses that are able to achieve and drive revenue that are built the correct way, so to speak, to have a good basis. And a lot of those bases are things like appropriately outsourcing, appropriately building SOPs, appropriately building systems where you can remove yourself out of the day-to-day operations. And even though you typically work in like a B2B type sales arena, a lot of the, the information you have, a lot of the experience you have, a lot of the wisdom you're going to share applies to people across a million different entrepreneurial venues, correct? Yep, absolutely. All right. So give us like the five minute intro of how you got into this space and, and what you're currently doing now. Cool. Yeah, man. So I have been in the world of high ticket selling my entire career. Um, well, I say my entire career, I'd say that the first few years, actually, for me, I was in full-time uh, ministry, actually. So I was in full-time ministry, ended up uh, feeling pulled out of that and into uh, the quote-unquote business world, if you if you will. And um, what happened for me is I, I got thrown some crazy opportunity pretty early on in my career, uh, was probably handed more responsibility than I deserved, to be quite honest. Um Got thrown into the Fortune 100 world where, uh, you know, I got my teeth kicked in, had some wins, had a lot of losses, learned a ton. You know, for me, I, I had the privilege at a young age in my 20s uh, to actually build uh, for a Fortune 100 company, got to be part of building and managing a 115-person sales team uh, for a global IT services branch and uh, learned a ton, right? Got to sit in boardrooms of people that I didn't deserve to sit next to and got to got to handle budgets that had a lot more zeros than I've ever seen uh, to work on. And so what's cool with that though, is I learned all of this incredible uh, knowledge and takeaway in terms of systems, processes, hiring people, training people, managing people, um, building out an entire sales operation from the ground up. Uh, granted, I had a massive budget to do that. So it was a little bit different, but the cool thing was I learned also that I hated working in corporate. Um, and I was like, man, I, I want to get more into the startup world. I want to get more into the small business world. So I actually ended up leaving 
and taking a uh, leadership sales role at a small, about a million dollars in revenue uh, consulting firm. And um, they had nothing in terms of biz dev. It was basically a mom and pop shop that operated off of their network. And they had um, a couple zeros at most in their budget for sales. And so I had to learn basically, let's build this sales operation from scratch with very little budget, right? And, and that was one thing, one reason, or one thing that I learned was you don't have to have resources to be resourceful at that point. So I learned how to be lean, how to, how to work smart, um, and uh, got to build, you know, this consulting firm's sales operation from a million dollars in annual revenue to 9.5 million in revenue within the first 18 months of working there. Um, that created a little buzz in, in the town that I live and ended up uh, getting poached to be the VP of sales for a marketing agency, which is what actually thrusted me more into the world in which I currently operate in. And uh, so I took the VP of sales uh, role at this at this uh, inbound marketing agency. If you're familiar with HubSpot, they were a HubSpot agency and um, so kind of had very similar results, right? They had a little bit more budget than I initially started with at the consulting firm, but um, they were doing about 60K MRR, um, monthly recurring revenue when I got there. Uh, kind of same thing. I was the only salesperson, built up the sales team, got the, the founder out of sales, built up, hired, trained, managed salespeople, built process around them, built the right tech stack. And um, similar results went from 60K MRR to 560K MRR within nine months. Um, at that point, I realized and I thought to myself, man, these guys who took a gamble building their own business, I'm making them a lot of money. <laughs> And I'm making good money, right? Like I'm, you know, commission's good, compensation structure's good, but I'm not making that kind of money. So I was like, well, I feel confident in my ability to grow something. So let me start my own thing. My natural inclination was to go start a marketing agency, right? It's what I was just recently doing. You know, I was like, it's easy to sell. You know, I'm, I'm able to, to grow it pretty fast. What I learned was selling is a lot easier for me than fulfillment. <laughs> and so... Um, I hated the delivering fulfillment side of running a digital marketing agency. But what it did for me was it got me into a community of other agency owners. And in that community, I learned I'm great at sales. They suck at sales. They love delivery. I hate it. So let's combine the two. Let me help you with sales. Uh, you guys can do what you really enjoy doing, being the creative strategist technician type. But... Um, you guys suck at sales. So let me come in and make you guys suck less basically. And so that's kind of how it started. Very grassroots bootstrapped it. Um, we had a million within the first 10 months of starting that business and we made pivots along the way to better serve and solve the bigger problem. At first it was more about lead gen, uh, more about filling the pipeline. And you know, after a couple of years of doing that realizing that we were just kind of putting a bandaid on a gash that required surgery um, and stitches. And so I, I set out to say, well, let me take my previous experience in fortune world, previous experience being the VP of sales building operations at two different companies. And let me see if I can actually build out an entire sales operation, not just about lead gen, um, and, and fill in the funnel. And, uh, that's what we set out to do. That's how sales driven agency was really birthed, uh, which is the company I'm currently the CEO of. And what we specialize in is more high ticket B2B companies. Like you said, it does, it, it, it applies across the spectrum, uh, B2C, B2B. Um, and the whole goal is helping these companies scale, create predictable, scalable growth by helping them build their sales operation. 
Yeah. So I think it's interesting that you started off in kind of the corporate, the enterprise level world, and then you moved in the entrepreneurial world. And although you said, you know, you can't be like a corporate guy, you can't, you can't have satisfaction functioning in that realm, not the exact word to use, but I get it. You still gained a ton of benefit because, you know, this was perfectly myself. And I see this a lot of, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, startup folks, they have these great ideas, they have great products, they have great sales ability, they have all this stuff that they need to be able to deliver, but they can't deliver it because they don't have the things that, you know, typical businesses have, which is structure, which is framework, which is accountability, right? So we have this like great thing, but we can never get an execution done because we don't have the base built that we need to. So I know that, you know, a lot of what you talk about, a lot about, a lot of what you share about is building sustainability for a business, right? And sustainability is important because a lot of people can go out and they can sell their hearts out. They can get great revenue one month and then suck it up the next. But like sustainability, that the whole tortoise and the hare thing, it's important. Mm -hmm. So how do you advise people to increase their sustainability using those playbooks, those workflows, those processes? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kind of backtrack and talk a little bit more about the four archetypes of typical businesses that I run across who are struggling in one of those three categories, predictability, sustainability, scalability. And what I found is of the four different types, the first one is really the founder stuck selling. They're typically referral, word of mouth based growth, right? Like they're, they're dependent on their network, right? It's unpredictable because you don't know when it's going to come in. Unsustainable because what happens if your network dries up, um, you can't depend on it, right? Um, if COVID happens and everyone kind of gets close to the wallet, well, nobody's really transacting in your network. So you're not getting leads. And then it's not scalable because you are the bottleneck. You're the owner, right? That's number one. Number two is what we call um, silver bullet hunters, right? They are those types of businesses that they search for that silver bullet that's working today. Like what's well, working today? Uh, that's going to kind of help me get through the next couple months, next couple quarters in terms of growth, right? Maybe it's I heard that LinkedIn automation works. So I hire some LinkedIn automation company to help me or I learn it myself. Or I heard that having a podcast and inviting my ideal customers on as guests is like a way to grow or whatever it might be. It might work. It probably does for a season, but it creates what we call tactic dependence. You become dependent on this tactic that if it goes away tomorrow, you go back to where you were before the tactic worked. And then you're searching for the next one, right? And that's just unsustainable. Um, it can be predictable for a season. It can be scalable for a season, but it's never going to be sustainable because we're always going to have these boom and bust cycles. The third archetype is what we would say <clears throat> is um, sales rock star dependent. So this is the that company who got lucky and, and they did remove themselves from sales because they went out and found a salesperson. Um, and they got lucky because most of the time it's hard to just go hire a salesperson who's going to take off and really drive growth for your business. Hypothetically, if you found that person, you are now sales rock star dependent, right? Because if they go away tomorrow, like I did for those businesses that I worked for, if I leave and, and take a different job because it's more comfortable or I leave and start my own business because I'm, I feel more confident that I can do that, then the owner of that company is left going back to nothing, right? Wherever they were before the salesperson was there is where they're going to go back to. Unsustainable. And then the last one is what we call like they get it, but they don't get it right? It's they get it in the sense that they don't want to be tactic dependent. They don't want to be salesperson dependent. They don't want to be the founder who's stuck selling, who's dependent on referrals and word of mouth. But because of their background, they're a creative, they're a strategist, they're a technician, they're good at their craft, but they've never had a career in sales and certainly never had a career in building out a sales operation like maybe someone like me did. 
And so they get it, they know what they need, but they have no idea how to create that themselves. So they can't get it slash obtain it. And those are the four types of, of people we find um, more than likely. And, and we basically created a fifth one, which is what we call a sales-driven organization. Um, one that is predictable, scalable, and sustainable. It's not tactic dependent. You can hire salespeople left and right and bring them through the process, the right hiring process, the right compensation structure to retain them, the right training methods, the right management processes to make sure that you're staying on top of them and, and keeping them working towards their goals as well as the company goals. Um, those are the types of organizations we want to build because that enables you, the founder, the CEO, the owner, to remove yourself from sales, stopping the bottleneck. You can hire salespeople over and over again because you have a process that you run them through, right? It's a machine. Um, and, and you won't have to be dependent on finding that one sales rock star. You can just find that one sales persona that you need that has just enough experience, run them through your machine, have a better salesperson on the back end, have the right management processes to keep them rowing forward. You know, your shirt says, keep, is it keep growing or keep rowing? Keep growing. Uh, well, I'm going to pretend the G's not there and say, keep rowing, like help okay. the team keep rowing. Um, you know, that's, that's the type of organization, um, that, that I want to run, that I want to have, right? I, I'm not in sales for my organization, haven't been in a long time. And yet we keep growing way past what I would be able to do by myself because like you said, we've built playbooks, right? We, we have objectives that we want to accomplish and we have playbooks around those. And inside of playbooks are a bunch of workflows. So my salespeople know that if this prospect is here, go down this workflow. If this prospect is there, go down that workflow. And then you have actions, which is the step below that, um, which is if you know, this prospect is here, take this workflow and take these seven, eight, nine, 10 actions so that we can accomplish the objective of that playbook. Um, and if you could build a business around playbooks, workflows, and actions, um, you're going to have a lot more repeatable, predictable outcomes. And because they're repeatable and predictable, even if you lose somebody, you can hire someone and you've got a training program to run through. And then they pick up those playbooks, workflows, and actions again, and they're back up to speed 30, 60 days. And you're not unsustainable in the sense that you're just sitting there searching for that next tactic or for that next real sales rock star. Yeah. And I will say it's a pain in the butt, especially for me, like building these systems, building these workflows, building the SOPs. It's a lot of work. And a lot of times I second guess myself, like, am I actually moving the needle forward, spending the time to put all this together instead of just getting stuff done? So you've talked about sustainability, which is important, but sustainability isn't always important today. Like, like it's not a fire we have to put out, right? Like a lot of times we push the sustainability off. Let's just get through the next month. But another thing that's great about workflows that you talk about a lot is that they don't just increase sustainability. They actually allow you to get more done in less time. 100%. Right? Yep. So talk about that, not just how they keep you sustainable, but also how they can help you speed up. Yeah. So I'm all about efficiency, um, but I'm all, I'm all about efficiency, not at the expense of effectiveness. And that's something that I, that I preach over and over again, because what's, what's interesting in my, my world that I live in, which is that high ticket B2B is companies are so quick to want to introduce too much automation into their process. And when they do that, they might be more efficient, right? They don't have to work on certain tasks as many times, but because it's automated and it's not personal or, or whatever the, the issue might be, it might be less effective, right? And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm kind of walking that line of how do I become more efficient yet not drop my effectiveness? Because um, you might still have a net neutral putting in all that effort, you become more efficient and you have less uh, output from that, right? You, you don't input as much, but you also have less output. 
And so I want to be careful to walk that line. And so when it comes to like creating efficiency and, and creating quote unquote scale or scaling yourself, scaling your time, I'm a big proponent of what we call the three D's do document delegate. Um, and, and I think when it comes to doing like you are excellent at what you do, even if you're not the best salesperson in the world, because you know, your product or service, the best, you're probably the best salesperson for the job right now. Right. And so you're doing something right or else you wouldn't be in business. So uh, what is it you're currently doing today that you can then document tomorrow so that you can, so that you can delegate the day after that. Right. I don't mean it that you can actually do document delegate in three days, but that's just the, (laughs) the flow of the, the phrase. But I think that's super important is a lot of stuff that you do on a daily basis lives in your head. How do you get it on paper? How do you get it into a system? And then how do you decide, do I delegate this to a piece of software or do I delegate this to a human being? Um, that is a, a hard process, like you said, that most people don't know how to do, yet we do it. Easiest way to, to accomplish that is what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Record what you're doing, send it to a technical writer, have them create a framework around whatever you did or document it in a, in a way that makes sense on paper. And then just keep making little iterations over and over and over again. That's, that is one of the easiest ways for you to scale SOP building and process building and playbook building. Makes complete sense. Now, as we talk about growth and as we talk about sustainability, we talk about you know building a team. There's always this great debate on do we build something in-house or do we hire it out? Do we outsource it? Right. So a lot of times, especially for U.S.-based companies, it's hard when you're bootstrapping this thing to afford good employees in the U.S. So, you know, we outsource, we, we push things out to VAs in places like the Philippines and India. And then we also have to balance this. Like, when do we hire an agency? Do we, do we put together an entire marketing team or pay this, this amount, you know, this retainer and hopefully have, you know, an expert agency. So when we're trying to gain complete control of our business, which we have to have, which is a balancing act. Like we want to gain control, but we don't want to be in the middle of every function, right? How do we balance doing things ourselves versus outsourcing it? Yeah, I think it does take a a solid amount of self-awareness, understanding where you're strong and where you're weak. Um, You know, for me, I actually, when it comes to delegation, uh, whether it's outsourcing or it's in-house, I, again, I want to make sure that I do document delegate processes there before I decide to do it. Because if you don't have a standard of what you want something done, it's going to be very difficult for you to outsource it to someone or hire it internally. And so if you don't have a standard, then you're kind of just going into a blind that you're going to throw money at something and you're probably going to be disappointed because you didn't have an expectation going into it that you should have. Or you had an un- unrealistic expectation because, again, it wasn't based on data or something you were doing prior to. So I, for me, um, when I'm evaluating those things, I have I have done a lot of outsourcing. I've done a lot of hiring. Um, I have found that the most controllable thing you can do is hire internally. I'm also aware that you can only accomplish so much with the budget, you know, and that's somewhat outside of your control. So um, I like to say whatever you're strong in, double, triple, quadruple down on, and wherever you're weak, I think that's when you start having to make the decision of where do I outsource. Now, if you have the opportunity to do this, this is a structure that we use for delegation. Um, I like delegating technical roles, right? Like video and audio editors, um, graphic designers, things that like require a craft, um, finance, right? Like I'm not, I, I am great at making money. I am terrible at keeping it and maximizing it and investing it. Right. Yeah. Like just tell me to go make it, I'll go make it. But if you want me to like manage it, 
Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. And so that was one of those things where, you know, I can do document delegate as much as possible from a framework perspective, but I needed to go find someone who could actually do it and do it well, do it fast, communicate well. So one thing that we do, whether it's Upwork or it's um, uh, freelancers or it's agencies and whatever, is if you can trial something with multiple people at one time, you're going to have the greatest level of success. It's going to be more expensive front-loading it, but it's going to cost you way less over time. So what I mean by that is hypothetically, uh, I'll just give you an example of something we did this past two weeks. Um, We wanted to outsource video audio editor. I don't need a full-time person in-house. Personally, we put a bunch of content out, but to be quite honest, I don't need someone 40 hours a week. So I need to get a freelancer of some sort or an agency. And so what I did was, um, you can't use Upwork for everything, but I use it for in this case, is what I like to do is I like to hire five people at the same time for the same project. It gives me a baseline. It's just like experiments you did in high school or college or whatever. Yeah, it's split testing. You split test. And so what I'll do is I will create an instance or an environment that is identical for all five. I'll go hire five people all with different um, price range. So if I want to find a video editor that's $10 an hour up to $50 an hour, I'm going to hire a wide spectrum of those people. I'm going to bring them into their own environment and I'm going to essentially test them. I'm going to give them all the same homework, all the same assets, everything to work with. Here's my expectations. And a couple of things I'm looking for is who asks the best questions, who communicates the best, who gets the work done the fastest, who gets the work done the cheapest. But it's in that order, right? Who communicates the best, who gets it done the work the fastest, who gets it done, and then obviously quality over everything. So for me, what's funny is you'll usually find that the person who's the most expensive is actually in terms of like what their hourly rate is, is typically going to be roughly the same price as someone who's one of the cheaper hourly rates because they've just done it so many times over and over again. Or you'll actually find that there's someone in the middle of the road who just doesn't know how to price themselves correctly, who's actually better than all of them, which is what happened with us, the video editor. Found someone for $20 an hour. Uh, He's in Norway, communicated really well. Um, got the work done the fastest, told me when he'd have it done, asked great questions, asked follow-up questions, got it to me when he said he'd get it to me. Um, and he came in under hours um, compared to everyone else. And so he actually cost me less, even though he was more expensive than people in the lower end, mm-hmm. cost me less, did just as good a quality as the, the higher end dollar figure. And so, yeah, yes, that project paying for that project for five people was expensive. But now I have someone who's who's gonna who I know is proven is going to work and I have to sign up long-term. Like that's what a lot of people make the mistake of is they go out and hire an agency and then they have to work with them for three, four, six months. And they realize I have nothing to show for it. Now I got to fire them, find another one. And you wasted not just money, but you wasted time and time I'd argue is more valuable. So that's how I go about it. I would highly suggest anybody else who's, who's looking at higher technical roles and things like that to remove yourself more and more from the day to day, whatever it might be finance, graphic design, anything in the creative world, sales, marketing, if you can create that, um, what do you call that? Like a, a gauntlet, if you will, to run through oh, and see who comes out the other end. Yeah, it's it's really, really solid. Hard to do that with salespeople, um, but I have yeah. somewhat of a framework. I like to hire two salespeople at once, um, always hire two salespeople at once, ideally. Fire one in 60 days, keep the, the best performing one, do it again. And you'll build a pretty incredible sales team and not waste too much money or time. So you're throwing out some amazing nuggets here. And I wanna I wanna keep going. I wanna keep this show, uh, this show rolling. One of the problems that I've had and that I see a lot of people have with businesses, not really sustainability, but let's talk more short term about that or short term than that. 
it has to do with this like very, very high peak performance periods followed by very, very low, like feast or famine, mm-hmm. right? Things are going great and then they die and they go great again and they die and they go great again and they die. How do we stop that cycle of feast and famine in any type of business that we have? Mm, that's a great point. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a very practical like finance. Um, for us, or for most people, we think too short-term and not long-term. So one thing that, and I was no different, right? Like I, I'm a gunslinger. I want to move fast. I want to spend a lot. I want to invest in things. Um, you know, one thing that I encourage people to do is to think about, and again, this is just finance, is stockpiling uh, four to five months of expenses, putting it aside and leaving it there. Don't touch it. Or if you have to use it, top it back off after you use it. Um, and that enables me to ride kind of that wave without any concern. Um, I'm never going to have a four-month skid, period. Even through a global pandemic, we had a two-month skid. It sucked. We came back out of it because we're hungry and we know how to grow. But um, having that four- or five-month cushion there enables you to really have that peace of mind to make strategic decisions, um, especially if you know that you know it's a boom and bust sometimes in these businesses. It's up and down. So how do you prevent that? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if you have repeatable processes, you know, kind of going back to process, if you have a repeatable process that you follow over and over again, um, there might be up months and down months based on external factors that you can't really control, but eventually it's going to circle back around. And if you keep staying diligent to the discipline, I think it's when we make two rash decisions and we freak out that we kind of find ourselves screwed a little bit. I think that uh, sustainability, predictability, scalability, all those things comes down to just doing the discipline work over and over and over again. Um, for me, at least that's how it's, how it's worked. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but I'd be happy to go deeper in that. I think that a lot of people ask like, how do we stop the the up and down cycles? How do we stop the feast mm-hmm. or famine? And I think that the answer may not be that you do stop it. You're just prepared for it because you know, what you said is valid. There's a lot of external factors. There's things that we can't always control. Um, this year, 2020 has been especially that way. You know, it's like every time you wake up, there's another dumpster fire going on. You know what I mean? Yep. So maybe preparation is the key. I it's do think preparation, that- It's preparation. It's already cut you off. I think it's preparation, but it's also, you know, realizing that no matter where you're at in business, something new is going to happen, right? You're going to have problems at under 100,000 that are different than the problems you're going to have in a million. You're going to have different problems at a million than you're going to have at 10 million. And you're gonna have different problems at 10 million than you have at 4 billion, like I was in, in corporate world, or excuse me, 4 billion was just the sister company that I was in. And so there, you're always gonna have problems no matter what. And so it's not how do we avoid problems, it's how do we mitigate risk? Because um, problems are gonna come, it's just how do you prepare in the sense of mitigation of the risk that comes with those problems? So I know that if a pandemic happens, I can't control the problem. The problem is the pandemic, but I can have mitigated the risk by having a cushion, having, you know, solid investments that are recession proof or whatever. Like those are things that I can do. Like you said, it really does come down to preparation um, and risk mitigation. And all that stuff is important too for performance because having that, uh, that cushion in there financially and having the processes and procedures in place, you know, it helps you perform better in the business, but it also helps you perform, at least for me, better personally, because mm. one of the biggest negative factors that I have in my business life is stress and worry, pressure, right? 
So when I'm worried sick about how am I going to make payroll next week when there's a recession or, you know, how am I going to make these numbers or how am I going to do this or this or this, like that reduces my ability to continue performing in the ways that my business needs to be performed. So when I have a financial cushion, I can stress less day to day and just, you know, kind of take it as it goes and keep going. When I have processes and systems in place, I'm not just beating my head against the wall trying to figure out what happened, how do I fix it? I have those processes and procedures in place so that I can now analyze what the problem is and I have a solution to fix it, right? So keeping our head our head screwed on straight is a big piece of this as well. 100%. I literally, right before this call, I hung up three minutes before we jumped on the podcast with um, one of my salespeople. He's fantastic. He's very good. He's been trained. He's, he's He usually crushes it and he's struggling right now and he's not struggling because um, he doesn't, he's not equipped. He's not struggling because he's not capable He's struggling because it's something in his personal life, right? There's something going on in his family. We won't get into details, but there are things going on that are um, hard for him. And what I do encourage him with was, man, you're bringing whatever's happening at home to the office. And I know it's hard to differentiate the two and separate the two, but I encourage you to do it. Not because it benefits me more that you're performing better, but because it benefits you more. And by benefiting you more, it does benefit me. So what I was trying to encourage him was, was like, you have to have your North Star and you've got to have, we call it morning alignment time, right? So I teach all my salespeople have morning alignment time where you actually are spending time in the morning. I don't care if it means that you have to start your day 30 minutes later, you have to have this time, period. End of story. Um, and, and it's documented on whether or not you do it. And you have to have your North Star you're really working towards and I'll say, because here's what happens. If, if things are not going well at home or things are not going well with your fitness and your diet or things are not going well with your relationships um, or things are not going well in work, it all works together and it can become a, a downward spiral if you don't keep them in their own place and you're not working towards something great. So for instance, I told him, I was like, hey, listen, you're letting whatever's affecting you at home where you feel like you're losing to affect what's happening at work. And so now you're not just losing at home, you're now losing at work. And what happens is when you lose at home and you lose at work, it then makes your home life work, you're losing more, right? Because you're, you're disappointed at losing at work and then you're losing at home, so it makes you disappointed at losing at home, so you're gonna perform less at, at work. And now you're just spiraling because you're, you, you can't find your, your baseline, you can't find your North Star again because you're just looking at all the areas in which you're losing. And so hundred percent agree, like it all works together. You have to kind of be preparing yourself even for those seasons. And I think having consistency and discipline, right? There's no workbook or uh, there's no playbook workflow or, or action necessarily for morning alignment time. But I do think that there's having something consistent and structured that helps you focus on the bigger picture enables you to compartmentalize all the different areas of your life. And if you're losing in one, it doesn't necessarily affect all the other seven areas. I know we've talked a lot about the the tactical things, you know, these like hardcore business things. If, you know, while we wrap up, if you could bring this to like very entry level, if we could bring this back to like, I hate to say basic, but like very, and top of the funnel is not even the term. What would I use? Like someone, someone maybe who is a little bit lost in all the, the deep tactical stuff we talked about. What is the one piece of encouragement that you would give to people the message being basically like, hey, this sounds really complicated, but you can figure this out in bite-sized chunks and mm -hmm. it is important. You know, wh yeah. what would you say if you could stand on that stage and talk to a bunch Man. of brand new business owners? 
the the number one piece of advice I'd give you in every facet of business and when it comes to growth, when it comes to finding your North Star is who getting laser focused, crystal clear on who you serve. That's the best piece of advice I can give you because here's what happens. When you get laser focused on who you serve, your tribe, whomever that might be, everything starts to open up a little bit more. You have a lot more clarity around how, when you figure out who you can serve, the how you serve them becomes a lot more clear. And when the how you serve them becomes a lot more clear, it opens everything up for you. So for instance, if, you know, just for me, if I, if I specialize in helping digital marketing agencies with their sales operation, I know exactly who I serve, right? Digital marketing agencies, you know, doing between 250,000 in revenue and 5 million in revenue. When I know them super well, I know the pain points they have, like the back of my hand. When I know the pain points they have, I know the solution that they need in order to solve those pain points. When I know those things, I can then also create content around that. When I can create content around that, I build authority. And when I build authority, I have trust. When I have trust, transactions are a lot easier. And so everything gets easier when you boil it back to who do I serve? Because the more you know the person you serve, the more you're going to understand who you serve and what they need. And then everything gets so much easier. And so if you're a brand new business person or you're struggling because you can't find your, your way, I would encourage you to figure out who you serve first or, or get back to that. Maybe you strayed away from it. Maybe you're a generalist. Maybe you're afraid of saying yes to one specific type of person or one specific type of, of vertical because you feel like you're saying no to everything else. I promise you there's so much more uh, to be had in the depth of going narrow than to be super wide because it's really hard to create process around um, around being a generalist, right? Because you got to learn all these different industries. You got to learn all these different products and services. You got to learn all these different pain points and goals that don't translate across every industry. So it's hard to create process around that. But if you get laser focused on who you serve, your world becomes laser focused. And then you just have to focus on those people and you can create process around those people because all their pain points and goals are the same. You can, you can uh, create the right types of salespeople because you know that they can serve this specific type of customer. And the same thing goes for even B2C. If you're, if you're selling e-commerce, knowing who's your buyer, who are your buyers? And when you do that, it makes marketing easier. It makes sales easier. It makes finance and investment where you invest your money a lot easier. Um, it, it enables you to increase your profit margin because you're able to create process and process creates repeatability. Repeatability enables you to, to, to fix things incrementally and create more margin. And so not only is your top line going to grow from a revenue perspective, but your bottom line from a, from a margin will also grow. Absolutely. Man, what awesome advice. If someone wanted to uh, follow you and, and see more of all this great wisdom you've got to share, how would they go about finding you and, and following you? Sure. Yeah, I'm super active on LinkedIn. Uh, so linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Joe Gilkey. Um, also, I've gotten more active on Facebook, believe it or not, my personal page. Uh, Facebook pages don't work well, but personal profiles are pretty good for community. So um, you can just look me up, Joe Gilkey, um, on there. And then uh, if you want to check us out from the company perspective, salesdrivenagency.com is uh, my main business. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on and sharing all this. Uh, those of you that are listening, I hope that you found some value in this. And if you didn't, you need to rewind it and listen again because there's good stuff in here. Make sure to leave us a review. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube if you're watching on that platform. Thank you guys for being here and we'll see you on the next episode.